are back. Oh, hello. Hi, Christy. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Why are we? Uh, a pretty good day. Why are we talking to each other on the internet from separate rooms in the same house? <laughs> What's that sound? Who is it's, that? It's... Hi. <gasps> Who was that? Is that? Is that Laura? It is. <laughs> 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 That's so dumb. It's it, it like it already doesn't kind of work in the same room, but it's extra dumb on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe I just that? busted in this party. <laughs> I'm just gonna stay quiet and pretend like I'm not here. Okay, that's uh, that's one weird way to be on a podcast, but that's all right. Yeah. Is I there mean, I'm I'm, I got weird ways bird? down, man. It's you should know that part. <laughs> There's a bird, but I don't know on whose head. <laughs> yeah. What? Right, right. You hear that I can bird? I totally hear a bird, but I don't know whose it is. It, like, is it here? Is it there? I mean, it's probably here because you guys are in the basement, right? No, we're we're upstairs, but I don't think it's here. I don't I don't hear it in real life, at least. <laughs> this is the only this time. This is going to be a shit show. We're yeah. like 35 seconds in, and we're like, "Where's the bird?" <laughs> Birdgate 2020. It's just so. I mean, like the pandemic. This is the second Birdgate. The the pandemic has made lots of things more difficult, but it's definitely introduced wild animals into our podcast that shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Though normally we do this in the basement, and so they we're kind of insulated from that. Yeah. Right. I mean, the most we hear from the basement is like if there's a lot of thunder or if there's a dog barking, sometimes you catch that. But you certainly wouldn't hear a little tweety right. bird. <clears throat> little tweety. I think the bird's done singing, maybe. Little tweety. Maybe. For, for anyone concerned with the arrangement of podcast dogs, I got a dog on either side of me. And they're both sleepy boys, so hopefully they stay that way. For those concerned. Yeah, I, I know it's just too. me. You little huh? you sheepy boy. I have a sleepy popo too. No. Podcast dogs be the best dogs. Yeah. What's uh? Where's the podcast buns? Um, I got your podcast buns her. right here. <laughs> 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 yeah, get a load of these. A sleepy bunny in her box because she likes to sit in a box like a cat, and then the <laughs> other is sitting under some chairs, wishing we'd set up his uh blanket fort. But we haven't yeah, done that. He, so. He's grumpy about not having a blanket fort. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to pretend there's a blanket fort. Tell me more about this blanket fort. What's that look like <laughs> for a bunny? It's so just we, our we, kitchen chairs. It's a covered in a blanket and he loves it. It's I don't yeah. know. I started doing it at the beginning of quarantine and he loved it. He'll spend every minute in that blanket. <laughs> yeah, that's really so cute. We cover our chairs with a blanket. He just sits in his, his yeah, fortress. They, they both really all day. love it. Man, he likes true. it more than she does, but they'll both sit in there forever. That's like really Do nostalgic still... to me. Yeah. Do they still like um, the the ball pit that you made for them? Sometimes. I know that abuse due to no end. I need to get a video of him jumping into the ball pit. <laughs> oh my god. It was like, I wasn't expecting you to have... So Laura and TJ have that this cardboard box with balls in it. Like like the plastic kind you'd find in like a McDonald's ball pit, but smaller. And then I I was not expecting you to throw treats into it and for a bunny to dive into a ball pit in front of me. <laughs> I think 
I think my heart exploded. It's so <laughs> overwhelmingly, despicably cute. It's Those so fucking cute. It if you put treats in it. <laughs> it's so funny. I was not expecting it. She'll do I it just... too, but she's got to see that he's already in there and eating and get really jealous that he's eating and she's not. Yeah. Aw. Yeah, she's definitely the shyer, little more uh, hesitant one. Aw. Already yawning. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is... We can't... It's 4.30 in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> we can't already be like, nope. I, I didn't have... I was going to say... That, yeah, that's a lie. I was going to say I didn't have caffeine today, but I, I had tea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it. I know you guys normally record this like early in the morning when we are asleep. So we started. <laughs> well, we started doing like noon or so because the the like the Wednesday nights are just like in the middle of the week where they're like it doesn't feel like there's anything to look forward to. It's couldn't just, like, get our energy up. Right. I mean, like I feel like we did so many episodes where it's like, hey, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just don't want to do anything. Oh, cool. Let's do a show. Yeah. Um, so the reason for doing it a little later today was twofold. One, because we respect that you two like don't get your night owls like us, and so you you don't typically want to be like talking at like eleven o'clock or noon. You're still <laughs> like doing your thing, and so uh, secondly, we were hanging out with some other friends on a, a voice call or a. Uh, video chat earlier because our friend Adrian always puts on these really cool kind of like tea party things. Yeah, and and she was doing party? a party. What? Yeah, we had she a virtual tea party. Yeah, she was going to say you went to a virtual tea party. Yeah, it was really oh, fun. A tea party? What the? F um, she scheduled this party that she was calling her end of the world party, and then a pandemic happened, and so. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, so you're saying responsible? <laughs> no, I'm saying she called it, and so we couldn't have the end of the world party because it was the end of the world, and so it got postponed. And then she decided to do it, but to do it virtually. And so she made like these cute little packages for us. She gave us each a tea bag of our choosing and she made popcorn and she provided spices to sprinkle on the popcorn. And she made like a couple different little quiche type things for each of us. And she made a dessert and she packed them all up nicely in a little bag. And we came to her house at staggered times and picked up our packages and then we virtually we we drank our tea and ate our nibbles and uh, video chatted and it was nice. Yeah, it really so, was. She's like organizing crazy virtual tea parties, and I've barely gotten off the couch. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. Well, she's she also is, is pretty strictly. Um, I like they're her and her mom are isolating. She said she hasn't actually left her house since like March because she gets groceries delivered because her, her mom has a lot of health issues. So I, this is like probably one of the first bigger things she's gotten to do. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad she was able to do it, but this is the kind of stuff that she's so good at, <laughs> at making parties like this. She's 
we've been to her place for several of her tea parties, and they're always so so fun. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, I'm kind yes. of a tea nerd, so I just want tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't had tea basically since our last tea party. I don't like drink that much tea, and like, I every time I do, I remember like, oh, I really enjoy sitting there with a cup of Earl Grey. Like this, why don't I do this all the time? I I also really like the idea of like, let's spill some tea as oh, in yeah. gossip. Like it 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 thrills me. It makes me really happy. Well, yeah. We, um, there's the even fun though we thing don't of... actually gossip, like we we had a very deep conversation during uh, this, but we didn't like gossip about things. But I just like the aesthetic what? of that. Yeah. I was gonna say, so you're an old maid at heart, eh? <laughs> Basically. Well, it's fun because we do I like. I just think it's funny. Everyone puts their cups up, and that's the thing is like, oh, cups up, and everyone puts their cups up to their face as if something dramatic is going to happen, and then it invariably, yeah, yeah, you can do it right now if you want. Hey, get a yeah. beer. Hey, do it with a beer. Does that count? Hey, everyone, cup, yeah. cups up. Cups up. <laughs> I don't have a cup, but. I'll hold an imaginary one. Yeah, uh, I'm holding the cup um, to my face. It is against my mustache. Needs to be like a phrase in our next uh, dialect. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, we can talk about that. Something we should talk about. So, it gets silent. <laughs> yeah. No one talks about it. Yeah, let's talk um, about it. And then dead <laughs> silence. Crickets. Dead um, so I think I've talked about dialect on here before, but it basically it's a role playing game in which you collaboratively build your world and tell a story. And uh, our last game I ran with Laura and TJ and me and Dave and our friend Kirsten. And the, the backdrop, the premise was supposed to be that you are like wolves in a wolf pack. And eventually like, you, you know, your society, something is going to change that makes you have to adapt. And it might mean that society is coming to an end, but we decided from the jump to take it in a super weird direction and have it be that we're werewolves which was awesome really blasted the concept but it was super fun and i really enjoyed playing that with you yeah it was a lot of fun we created a cool world we did (laughs) it was a little sad we're not going to do anything with that world but we created something cool yeah isn't that the interesting thing is like Dialect forces you to create an actual scenario with people that you inhabit and care about, and then it's like almost like a like a mandala Dude. where it's like you just you brush it away at the end. Yeah, it would be it's... really cool if like you started with like a dialect dialect game and you made this world and then it like transitioned into more of a D and D type game where. Ooh. So I've we've talked about playing Monster of the Week with Kirsten, and I feel like. Monster of the week could potentially you could potentially build a world like we did in dialect out of monster of the week and have adventures within that world. Hmm. I think that would be interesting to explore, but yeah, it would be cool to do something more with it because it is sort of a shame to like tell this whole story and have these characters in this whole world and then it's just like done yeah um but i I think that i mean obviously that's the point of dialect for anyone who hasn't played it if of it's um basically discussing the like how language is born and dies in an isolated community that is coming to an end there's no way to make it a 
a super upbeat game or super lighthearted because at the end of it, I tried really hard to not. You really did. The thing is, the outcome of the game we played with you was way more upbeat than our last one was. But I just mean in general with that game because the it the whole point is like your community is coming to an end in one way, shape or form. It's like, there's no way to not be a little bit bummed because like you get connected to your characters. Like Mm -hmm. it's a, it's really kind of funny to see that connection happen so quickly, but I had a lot of fun doing it. I, it was a really funny concept of like nomadic werewolves in a, Pioneer times, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I think it was on your last podcast. You were talking about writing a poem, and all I could think about was the one I wrote on your refrigerator. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's. I I still have a photo of that. I cannot tell you like the degree of amazement and horror that went through me <laughs> because it was so. It was like it was like if I had walked out into the living room and you had like built a sculpture or something and and I and I just had to say to myself like how did that happen? <laughs> it's so alcohol. Honestly, alcohol. it was el- I was drunk so, with refrigerator poetry magnets. I was gonna say we we have fridge magnets. He wasn't just writing on our fridge with a marker. Fridge, yeah. Oh my god! I should find a way to share that in like somewhere related uh, you know, to this show so people can-, can see. I could put it on the Facebook page. It's really I have a photo. You gotta send it to me so I can have it. I don't think I with, have with it. a warning that it's um yeah. Oh yeah, it's definitely content advisory for work. Yeah, it uh it was a dirty it was a dirty poem for sure. <laughs> and I love that you made a dirty poem out of fridge magnets that are not supposed to be dirty. I was so proud. Uh, I used, some like, of them are pretty dirty. Every magnet. I used like every magnet. Yeah, you did. There were none left. I was really like I, okay, I found the picture. I'll share it to you in our Discord chat so you can see while we're talking. But, like, unbelievable. The degree... There's lines in there that are amazing. Sex like a livid machine. I, I murmur a brilliant sound. Um, uh, night must meander. Bring life to sun. I can't even breathe. I, you actually said the, the, the fourth line or fifth line is vain was plump from thought. <laughs> I don't think I've I don't think I've ever read a more brilliant description of an erection in my life. <laughs> okay, I just oh, I just God. saw the first line, which is my oily wicked pipe. <laughs> uh, wow, there's I, I mean this is like. This is really kind of stupefying how brilliant it is. It took up the entirety oh. of the freezer uh, portion of my... <laughs> it's it's huge. That's what she said. I, <laughs> I, 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 the, every time I read it, I'm like, this this is just, this is just straight up filth. <laughs> it's the thing is, it's, I don't know, it's kind of touching in a way. I, I love was it. up like all night just drunk as shit in your kitchen doing that. I know. <laughs> this, this, oh my god, it's brilliant. Like some of the lines are like, I mean, I guess this speaks to like how um, constraints on poetry make it more creative. You know, like when you can't just say things the simple way, right. you have to work a little harder. So then you get lines like, um, uh, 
<laughs> All of them? Yeah, like uh, a beauty and passion dance or a giggle soothed our storm. I like that line a lot. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Seriously, this this belongs in a this belongs in a book. Oh god. Anyway, so. I can't imagine okay. Mo- moving on from his pretty <laughs> fridge <laughs> Really, just amazing. Um, well, uh, do we have anything else that uh, we want to kind of catch up on? Are we? I mean, we're we're uh, we're weird mushroom farmers now. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Farmers. Yeah, we uh we bought this starter kit for lion's mane mushrooms, and we're growing them in a uh like plastic <laughs> tube in our kitchen. Oh, those are so, cool! I kind of wanted to try one of those. Yeah, I'll yeah, send you a picture. So a friend of mine, because you know people are doing more cooking right now. A friend of mine had posted that she made lion's mane mushrooms, and the draw of that kind of mushroom is that they are sort of supposed to taste like crab meat or lobster um and i was like oh that's really cool i want to try those and so i started looking up like where i could find lion's mane mushrooms and i can't find them anywhere around us and i was like okay well we might just have to grow them so of course like because dave and i egg each other on and we have no proper checks and balances in our relationship yeah i i went to him <laughs> And was like, hey, like, I want to try these mushrooms, but you can't get them anywhere. So I was thinking of buying a kit and growing mushrooms. And he's like, we should do that for sure. So (laughs) (laughs) I bought a kit and we're going to see if we can grow these lion's mane mushrooms. And already we're thinking about how we can, like, expand this operation and do it a little more from scratch and, like, grow different kinds of mushrooms. (laughs) Uh, you know, so, it's another rabbit hole to fall down, and I already did it right. on the internet. Is like, oh, you can buy a Home Depot bucket, like a five-gallon bucket, and you drill a bunch of holes in the sides and the bottom of it, and you soak some wood chips, and then in between those wood chips, you place layers of, like, you know, a prepared substrate with that already has, you know, some spores in it. And before you know it, they're growing out the holes of the bucket, which is, like, unbelievable. Um, and, and I, I guess I'm, I'm probably going to end up doing this. It's just another crazy hobby I don't need. <laughs> yeah. Did we tell you guys about the time that TJ grew a, a whole garden in our closet? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he got really into hydroponics. Ah. And like, oh. But like the only place we could find to put the grow lamps and everything was the closet. And so we had like this crazy big like basil and dill and like we had a whole garden like oh, in the closet. Amazing. <laughs> it was really that's cool. Like, that's a uh, new that's a new uh version of secret garden. Like, <laughs> right. My big like the downfall of the whole thing was it it was too successful. Like it overgrew everything and I just couldn't control it and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like well, the idea of someone like going to hang up a coat in your hall closet, and there's just like a <laughs> garden in there. Garden. It, it was huge. Me. I spent a lot of time building all this stuff, and that's the thing. A lot of the like herbs, they're they once they start to grow, like they really take off, and yeah, and they will just go out of control. That's pretty much yeah. what happened. <laughs> we had a um, dill. The dill turned into a tree. Like <laughs> it'll do that. Yeah. Uh, we uh, there's this channel we've watched on YouTube called uh, Foo the Flower Horn, 
and it, it's a type of fish and it's basically this guy who does like real kind of natural fish tanks and has real plants in there but he also does like hydroponic plant growth on top of it and the roots are like in the fish tank and so he'll grow like strawberries out of his fish tank and stuff and yeah. it's it's really really cool yeah that- and and it's also um it's nice because he doesn't talk at all. Yes. If he like feels the need to share information with you, he does it in text on the screen. And so it's just like it's quiet, it's soothing, it's just like fish and plants, and occasionally his cat is in the video. I don't have to see or hear an annoying human being. Oh, it's the best. It's beautiful. Those I mean, like, there's nothing worse than a YouTube show about something you really like. With someone who won't stop going, smash that fucking like button. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. Oh, I, I'm starting to really hate YouTube in general because it's, <laughs> it's really freaking pushy about the stupid YouTube Red thing or whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. so I would never have paid for YouTube Red, but I have Google Play Music and YouTube Red comes with it for free. So that's my justification for why I'm kind of like backdoor paying for YouTube. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. It is nice to not have the ads. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think I would have spent that. Oh, yeah. I just don't I, watch I enough YouTube haven't. anymore because of it. Like it, like it kind of turned me off of YouTube. I used to watch everything on there. Well, I, mean, I still do. Are they but... just pushy with like ads for YouTube Red? Is that what they're doing? Yeah. Every time, every time I open the app, it's like, do you want your free trial? Do you want your free trial? You oh sure? yeah, 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 sure? yeah, yeah. Like, I said no 1,500 times. Like, I'm not paying for stupid YouTube. Like, Well, they're trying to wear you down. Yeah. They really... They, they it's not working. I'm just going to stop using YouTube before I pay for it. Yeah. I it's I mean, YouTube is like... It's like we, we made an agreement with Google. It's like, I'll watch all this stuff, and I'll watch ads, and that's how you'll pay for it, and we'll be cool. Yeah. And the, the well, it's not enough for him anymore. I was really big into YouTube, like when it was first becoming a thing. So I mean, I, that's probably part of my hesitations because, like, to me, it it was always like the cool, like, free thing to do and watch. And yeah, it was amazing. Uh, I just feel like it, it. It definitely has come a long way because there was a time where YouTube was just like, "Here's me taking a walk. Here's my." dog here's you know like uh just like uh here's how to do something or whatever and then the creep in of the youtube metaverse of like youtube Mm -hmm. talking about youtube yeah (laughs) like people realize you can like have some little bit of success from it and that changes everything yeah now there's like youtube personalities and it's like ugh. it very much like so much it's more of a platform now yeah, right. well, YouTube very much innovated the like the whole, basically just online media, and it made it so anybody could do it. But there's other ways to do that now. So I think I'm not saying YouTube is like falling, but I'm saying it could potentially because we don't have just, options. There's options now. It's not just one thing. Like you go start your own blog or whatever, and instantly off the bat you could upload your own videos. You don't have to use YouTube anymore. Yeah. Do you right. remember that? that website my life is average yes no i never visited that so when it first started 
like at the very beginning, my life as average was a place where you could share like little stories about your day to day life. And it really literally was people talking about their life being average. It was like, I woke up this morning, made myself some eggs and went to work normal day. And it was all stuff like that, like super boring. My life is average. And somewhere, I don't know how, but organically it shifted and it became very tongue in cheek. My life is average. So it became things that were bizarre and not average and clearly like kind of jokingly be like, oh, you know, my life is average. Like I went to the store today and I saw five people dressed up as ducks and they were following a mama duck around the store. My life is average. Like, oh, so it got the ironic treatment and then stayed that way. Oh, yeah, yeah, but like I went back to the beginning of the site and started reading once and I was like, oh, my God, this began average. <laughs> like it really. <laughs> yeah. The, the way that that platforms change organically is kind of fascinating to me. And I think that I bring it up because that has happened with YouTube. It really started out being one thing and it's completely changed now. Yeah. It kind of shows you how like uh, sort of, it's sort of like the way the AI are trained on like stimulus and they grow in a certain direction. Like everything has its like uh, sort of like self-regulating, um, you know, like, oh, this is good, do more of this, this is bad, do less of that, you know, and then, like, some strange character grows out of it as a result, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I do think... any of us really? No. <laughs> I think it might be kind of nice to play a game. I, I'm fully unprepared for that. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, Laura, TJ, do you have like any ideas of like a game that we could play with you guys? Dictionary. Maja? <laughs> Maja. Hi, show. Maja. Pictionary and Mahjong were the first like <laughs> gut reactions. <laughs> All right, I like I play show. Uh, I I would love to play Pictionary with you, by the way. Um, but Ooh, we should do that. Seeing as we are not in the same room as previously established, <laughs> maybe we could play, I don't know, Trues and Fnews? You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me why you wouldn't happen to me. It's time for Trues and Fnews. Time to play Trues and Fnews. Everyone's playing, everyone's playing a famous game, famous game, the game that's taking the internet by storm. It's time for Trues and a Merv Griffin production. Anyone? That sounds good to me. <laughs> no reaction. <laughs> Where's that bird at? We need. Yeah, I was I waiting for the song to start. <laughs> you guys still use it, dude. The theme song. Initially, I was like, "This is really fun and super chaotic, and maybe I'll do something uh, different in the future." But like for now, this is perfect. But it's it's grown on me so much that I can't imagine doing it without that wacky theme, <laughs> which sounds like a rock tumbler of like blurbs. It's like crazy, and I love it. I spent a, a lot of time on it. It was another stupid thing that I did, and I was like really proud of for whatever reason. It is. <laughs> it's, it makes it's, me really happy. I love it. It's it really is like it's like if you threw your shoes in the dryer and instead of uh, them like making smacking noises, it's me saying dumb things. 
It's just like all kinds of wacky. I love it so much. It's grown on me completely. Do you mean to tell me? You mean to tell me? How does one play Trues and Snooze? Well, shit. Since you ask, I guess I'm obligated by some kind of contract to answer. So, Trues and Snooze is a news game. It's a classic game. It's an internet game. It's our favorite game. It's a game we've been playing for years. It's a game in which I present you two false stories, one true story. You have to determine which of the stories is the false story, the news, or the true story, the trues. Good job. Ow. That was pretty cool. That actually kind of hurt. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I fell so out in good, the middle it I was going to say, had... somebody disconnected from Discord, so you got to do it over again, Dave. Oh, <laughs> no, oh I why, had... of course. I... I would I would absolutely love to do that. Truth <laughs> News is a game. It's a classic game, an internet game, a game that's taking the internet by storm, in which I present to you two false stories or the news or the true story, the truths. You have to determine which of the stories is the truths or the news. Eh. Well, I, I just wasn't ready that time, so you're going to do it again. Oh, that's fine. I don't mind. Uh, Truths and Fuse is a game, a classic game, an internet game, a game that's taking the internet by storm, in which we have to I provide you with two. <laughs> Damn it. No. Ah. This is going to be the worst podcast ever. Oh, my God. I really, I, I was like, I was like tight roping it perfectly. We've fallen down a hole, and the rest of the podcast is just you saying that blurb. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so, Truths and Fuse is a game in which I present to you two true stories. One, no, that's not true. That's Stop it. Stop it. Okay. Okay, let's just get on with the game. We've broken Dave. What do we do? Oh, my God. It's so weird. Uh, the reset button. Yeah. <clears throat> Hard reset. All right, guys. Dave has warned me that this is going to be a, a tough quiz. Uh, well, I think it's oh, okay. I put a little extra sauce on this one because I feel like the true story is it feels like something I would have written. So I feel like you're going to end up with and eh, you got like, a, well, I don't know. You'll you'll be the judge of this. We'll see who can pass <laughs> this trues and news. Um, all right. I'm ready for the challenge. All right. Here we go. Story number one. Nathan's famous. The hot dog company is scrapping their latest ad campaign after it was deemed too risque. Hundreds of billboards are now coming down, which ask the public boldly to get your hands on our wieners. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, Looney Tunes is getting a reboot with new cartoons on the way, but with one big change, Elmer Fudd and others aren't allowed to carry guns, but Dynamite and Sickles are still okay. Uh, and okay. number three... After a fierce bidding war over an abandoned storage locker in Los Angeles, which was rumored to contain a wealth of film memorabilia, the winner was disappointed to find that the locker contained only thousands of copies of Encino Man on VHS. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I love that so much. <laughs> Remember Encino Man? Yes. yes. I like that movie. Me too. I love Encino oh. Man. The movie was terrible. <laughs> it, was... <laughs> well, it wasn't good, but I liked it. It's a certain kind of cheese, you know what I mean? I was also a kid when I watched it. I'm sure I wouldn't think it was good now, but. Yeah, I don't know. That's, some things hold up and some things don't. There's only one way to find out. Uh, mm. You guys want to recap? Yes. Yes. All right, here we go again. Number one, Nathan's Famous, the hot dog company, is scrapping their latest ad campaign after it was deemed too risque. Hundreds of billboards are now coming down, which ask the public boldly to get your hands on our wieners. Number two. Looney Tunes is getting a reboot with new cartoons on the way, 
but with one big change, Elmer Fudd and others aren't allowed to carry guns. Dynamite and sickles are still okay. Number three, after a fierce bidding war over an abandoned storage locker in Los Angeles, which was rumored to contain a wealth of film memorabilia, the winner was disappointed to find that the locker contained only thousands of copies of Encino <laughs> Man on VHS. Good luck with that shit. <laughs> I might, actually think I know my answer, and it might be and, it might not be as good as I thought it was. We'll see. The thing is, I don't know if it's right, but I know it's the one I want to believe, and that doesn't usually work out well for me. But because they're both pretty, they're all three pretty equal. Okay, they're all fairly believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, think so. I know which one I want to pick, but I have weird reasons for it. So all right, so let, let me do my recap. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Your recap. What do you got? Number one, grab that dick, then eat a hot dog. Whoa. All right. <laughs> uh, Number two, that's their ad campaign. That's, that's a thing you uh, just said on, and recorded and will be on the internet forever. Yeah, I've said worse. Um, Number two, sickles don't kill people. A cartoon representation of death does. <laughs> nice. And number three, someone struck the Encino Man mother load. <laughs> Yeah, yep. All right. All right. Well, All right. yeah, who wants to who wants to make a guess? Uh, I can go first. Yeah, what do you think? I'm going with uh Encino Man. Thousands of copies of Encino Man <laughs> is the real one. Okay. I just I really am in love with the idea that like Someone had to buy either one of two things. Someone bought a bunch of copies to falsely inflate the numbers in the success of Encino Man, or it did so awfully that someone had a bunch left over and just shoved them, actually paid for a storage locker to keep them in until they eventually stopped paying for it. I just love that concept, so I'm going with it. Okay. I think... I'll go with the wieners. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll go with the wieners. Just so I can say that. <laughs> okay. Nathan's famous. Sure. I'm going with Encino Man for dumb reasons, but I'm going with it. <laughs> I want to know your reasons. <laughs> it's stupid. It has nothing to do with the actual articles. It was more the way you said them <laughs> oh okay so I'm like trying to like mentalist this shit or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay so you think that some the way that i presented them indicates that that's the true one uh yeah i think it's i'm going with encino man okay uh, wrong. so that's one for nathan's famous two for encino man mm-hmm. we're all yeah. wrong you're all fucking wrong Oh no, it's <laughs> the cartoons. It's absolutely, Aww. which is very strange to me. I get the, you know, like guns are like kind of a thing that maybe that's, you know, it's like a little, I mean, you're showing cartoons to kids. So whatever. I get that it's like 2020 now, but Elmer Fudd without a rifle. What, who had a sickle? It's just why shotgun. Are, why are like sickles a... okay? <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the old tiny farm equipment that's also used by the Grim Reaper. What? Yeah, right. I don't. Why does death not have like, like a chainsaw by now? <laughs> why, why does he have to stick to like 
the same weapon as time marches on. Oh man, remember in Tiny Toons in the movie, the the creepy guy that they they pick up on their oh, vacation yeah. who has the chainsaw? Yeah, that was the Tiny Toons I summer vacation. I have one, yes, Dan. Personally, I never really understood why Death has a weapon at all. Like his whole shtick is like coming for people that are either about to die or already dying or about to get killed, right? So what's he sure, need a weapon for? I'm sure there's a reason why he's represented with the sickle. I just don't know the mythology of it, but I'm yeah. sure at some point it was like based off of something else, and they were yeah, represented sure by a sickle and blah blah blah. But like I don't know it. But I'm not smart enough to know it. It's just like USSR Are they making Elmer Fudd like a farmer now? Well, like, it's so weird. because <laughs> I watched the video. They released kind of like a teaser of like more Looney Tunes is coming. And it's I think it was called the song. It was like the song of dynamite or something. Like, oh, no, like the dynamite dance, maybe. And it's kind of a classic. Elmer Fudd is chasing bugs and then bugs is, you know, like. Uh, you know, blowing them up with dynamite 8,000 different ways, flies in on an airplane and scoops them up and blows them up with dynamite and puts a dynamite stick in his mouth and all this crazy Looney Tunes kind of stuff. But when it starts, Elmer Fudd is chasing him with a sickle, and it just, it's so weird to me. He's never that wielded that before. Weird. That's actually, no. okay. I actually find that more disturbing than if he was. <laughs> That's what Because that means he's what? out rabbit hunting with a sickle. And chop him in half. Stick monster does that. <laughs> yeah, like, like what are we teaching our children about rabbit hunting? Oh, Christ, because if he succeeds, he has like the half of the rabbit that has the head attached is in like agony. That's so much crueler, so much crueler than just like dropping a rock on him or something. Oh, my God. Jesus. Elmer Fudd might actually also, be a monster now. Also, Nothing. it makes the power... It shifts the power dynamic. So, like, the funny thing about those cartoons was that Elmer Fudd had the obvious advantage, mm -hmm. and yet Bugs Bunny still, like, won every time through, like, ridiculous means. Mm -hmm. But now Bugs Bunny has the advantage because he has explosives. <laughs> And Elmer Fudd has the sickle, and Bugs Bunny is still going to win. He doesn't, and it's he doesn't just have explosives. I'm sorry. It's not subverting my expectations for Bugs Bunny to win now. It's not as funny. It's actually, like, not uh, enough that he has dynamite. He has a unlimited <laughs> supply of dynamite that comes from every direction. It's, right. it's overkill. It falls from this guy. And poor Elmer Fudd has... Old tiny farmer. A sickle. Just, a sickle. Just a he sickle. He doesn't even have a freaking tractor. He's got a freaking sickle. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all this kind of depressing to me. Like, as a society, we find it necessary to, like, censor children's slapstick cartoons. Yeah. I, I don't know that again, anyone... I, I, get, I get why, and I understand to some extent, but I think they're missing the mark of a lot of different things like they're missing what makes the original cartoons funny in the first place they're they're missing like the ability of children to understand that like obviously you shouldn't really just shoot shit that like there's just <laughs> there's just like so so right? much it, in, so many ways are missing the marks yeah in a way i think it almost conveyed like the absurdity of like uh, i don't know I don't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. No, like, there's... The thing is, like, 
Elmer Fudd with a gun. I'm not sure if anyone was ever actually traumatized by that image. Um, no, in fact, I'd say it almost went the other way. Like, when you're a real little kid and you see, like, the, the farmer shooting at your cartoon character that you really like, you're like, holy shit, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, also, I'm not talking like, thing, like me watching it as an adult. I'm talking like a super little kid being like, oh, that's not good. Yeah, don't want to do that. Also, Elmer Fudd was a hunter, and he was trying to hunt an animal. Like, he's right. literally responsibly <laughs> using a gun. Yeah, it'd be like... That's true. If, That's actually what guns are for. Right, right. If Elmer Fudd was just, like, a, a tax attorney or something, or, like, or he's, like, a grocer, and he's running around with a fucking rifle, we would rightfully yeah. be like, That's not cool. But he's a hunter. Yeah, he's He's Hunter, yeah. He's literally just going to try to, like, make a meal out of, you know, whatever uh, you any, any of you guys ever try to bring down a deer with a sickle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you one thing. It's not humane. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Why don't we take a break here? This seems as good a time yeah. as any. Um, I think so. So I busted all of you. Uh, neener, neener. Um we, we that was pulled. good. That, those were really that was good. good. Yeah, yeah, I liked all of those, Dave. I, I liked them. They're all super believable. <laughs> I, I really wish the Encino Man thing was real. Cause... Oh my god, yeah. it made me laugh so hard. Yeah. I just, uh, I it made like my little soul happy. Out there More specifically, yeah. when you read the the prompt the first time for the hot dog one, you what what you said it was there. What you said their tagline was like, "Get your hands on our wiener." But yeah, you pluralized it the second time. Oh. <laughs> You were trying to like mentalist this. Yeah, oh my goodness. you're paying real careful attention. <laughs> <laughs> not too, not too bad. That's uh, that's that's. I mean, this is the kind of head I games I think, try to play too. Part of me just really didn't want the Elmer Fudd one to be a true too. So yeah, it's a little yeah. ding on. It's a ding on the childhood, isn't it? <sighs> right. Um, but uh, but I stumped you all, neener neener, and uh, we will take a little break. <laughs> And when we come back, uh, this is this is your topic, Laura, right? Yes. Awesome. I don't know what it is, so let's uh, keep that a little mystery for the next, uh, say, ten minutes while we take a break, and then <laughs> we will be back with the main segment of the episode. Uh, bye. Yeah, right. Bye. 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 Live from Saturday night, it's New York. <laughs> it's New well, York. First of, all, first of all, it's Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, live from Saturday night. It's we're really late to this. <laughs> uh, we're back. So, today, my topic is yes. the story of Pogo the dog and the serum run. The what? Are you familiar? The serum run. Are you familiar with this? No, this is going to be brand new awesome. to me. Because I only I've... know the little bit that you have told me before, and I knew you yeah. had told me what the topic was going to be, and I quickly forgot what it was. <laughs> I could not remember. 
Well, that's good. I meant to do this a long time ago before Disney ever made a movie with Willem Dafoe. So I just want to throw that out there. But, you know, oh, I didn't even realize they had. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the movie was pretty good. Huh. I, yeah, I, I made him watch it. So, it definitely um, enjoyable. Quick, shout out to my sources first, um, because obviously I only know this because of them. So the, the book I read was The Cruelest Miles by Gay Salisbury and Laney Salisbury. Um, okay. I can recommend the book, but not the audiobook unless you're looking for a nap. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Really? Uh, I couldn't get through the audiobook and bought it on Kindle. And- oh, yeah. Um, I'm real particular <laughs> about narrators. And then the other source is um, This Podcast Will Kill You, Episode 16, Scratch and Sniff Diphtheria Membrane. Um, which <laughs> I know, right? They're setting, setting it up for some interesting stuff. So Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go to Nome, Alaska in 1924. Mm, 1924. 1924. So. Like we need an old timey flashback with some like sketchy projector <laughs> effects going on. Yeah, and a harp. Yeah. So, like most towns in Alaska, is originally a gold rush town. Um, in its gold heyday, it had a population of like 20,000. But in 1924, that was about um, 1,500 people which included a mix of Alaska natives and European settlers. So um, it was a pretty good mix there hmm. of crazy people who lived in Alaska. <laughs> and um, Nome is really far west and really far north. It's actually only two degrees south of the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and wow. at the time, it was closer to Siberia than it was any other major town in Alaska. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah. Um, so Curtis Welch, the only doctor in Nome, Alaska, sent for more diphtheria antitoxin after he noticed their supplies had expired. However, the last ship of the year came and went, and no new antitoxin came. Hmm. And then on Christmas Eve of 1924, a seven year old girl had a sore throat, and Curtis Welch was very worried. So, um, yes, this is an epic story about a sled dog. But to set the stage, I need to get really gross and disturbing and talk about diphtheria. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything Ooh. about it, honestly. Like, I just kind of know that it's bad. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> no, this so, is like my jam. <laughs> we don't know what diphtheria is really because we had a vaccine, you know, with the DTAP or one of its versions, the DDP or TDAP or there's several Ooh. versions, but that include the diphtheria one. Um, but it used to be a common disease of childhood and caused a lot of panic. It would show up suddenly and just tear through towns and entire families, all of their children. Um, historically, it's a disease of children because adults either were exposed and survived as children or were asymptomatic carriers, asymptomatic, asymptomatic, I don't know what that word is, <laughs> asymptomatic carriers, which is fairly common. Um, an early study found that about 5% of children were asymptomatic carriers. Mm. So you could carry around the disease and cause other people sick, but not sick yourself. Um, so it starts with a fever, you know, usual fever issues, plays, you feel crappy, your throat starts hurting. Within two to three days, a membrane starts to grow in the back of your throat. Oh. Starts off as white. But as it grows to cover your entire soft palate, it can turn green or gray or black. No. Yeah. 
it smells horrible. <laughs> and this membrane is like really attached on. You can't scrape it off. You just cause a lot of bleeding if you try. Oh my god. As the, yeah. <laughs> As the membrane grows, it starts becoming difficult to breathe. Your entire airway is being shut off slowly. And you die from asphyxiation. Wow. So that's dark. Yeah. Right? And if you don't simply suffocate to death, the toxic can get into your blood supply and infect your heart, causing cell death in your heart, scarring, which has all sorts of other issues that can kill you too within a week or two. Um, so patients actually have a 50-50% chance of death. Wow. Um, That's really yeah. high. <laughs> so um, might be like, oh my God, what's going on with this membrane? So, without getting too technical, diphtheria is caused by a toxin that's produced by a bacteriophage that infects a bacterium. So, a virus that infects bacterium, which causes a toxin, and the toxin makes you sick. I, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know that like yeah. viruses could hijack bacteria <laughs> and then. That's super roundabout. Like it's not the vac. Yeah. The uh, virus itself. It's the effects yeah. of the virus on its actual target. Wow. Exactly. And then, um, so it's transmitted by air, has an incubation period of two to five days. So you cough on me, I get sick two to five days later. Um, it colonizes in your nose and throat, obviously, from that description I gave. And um, it gets inside the cells. And then the toxic keep the cells from producing protein, which causes them to die. So that membrane is dead cells. And fibrin, which is like scar tissue-like material that Ooh. your blood cells create. Which and explains that's what eventually just scrape off. Exactly. And that's what eventually suffocates you to death. Um, and the word diphtheria is actually from the Greek word for leather. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Ew. Yeah. So really gnarly, gross. Um, fatality rate, which I mentioned, is same, is same now as it was 50 years ago. Untreated, 50%. Treated death rate is still 5 to 10% and up to 20% in young children. Um, an antitoxin was first produced and used in the 1890s, and the person who developed it won a Nobel Prize. So, oh, you're, that's amazing. Wow. So, okay. So, oh, shoot. I had a question, and then I, <laughs> I just lost it. Yeah, I was going to um, say. Sorry to interrupt you. you. Can ask. No, no, no. Interrupt. Um, it's, uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll think of it later. Okay. So the antitoxin only works on the toxin that's not already in the cells. So it can't fix the cells that are already infected. Um, so you have to act quickly with the antitoxin and give it to somebody at the beginning of their, you know, going downhill. Gotcha. And even with the treatment, it was still the number one killer of children in some countries. Um, so, so is yeah. this, is this something that this, I feel like I should know, I should know this, this is like something I should know, but like, do we still have it running around now? And like, to what extent do you know? Did you find anything on like, um, that, Oh, I did not write that down. It does still exist. Mm. Um, it was rare in the 1980s, such when vaccinations were at their highest in the United States. Mm -hmm. But, um, so there is some cases now people do get diphtheria, but I don't, I don't. Okay. But like, it's, it's, we haven't completely eradicated. It was my, was really my question. Is yeah. like, it's no, like, it's not completely eradicated. It's just rare enough that like you and I don't know anything about it until I read about it. And just, 
you know, horrified. Right. So <laughs> I, I want to make a clarification for me, but so there are, there's two things. There's, there is a vaccine for diphtheria that prevents now there is at the time you're yes. telling the story, I'm sure not, but no. now there is a vaccine for diphtheria that prevents that virus from acting on that bacterium that produces the toxin. At the time of this story, there was only an antitoxin that prevents more toxin from Correct. being able to act. And that's what we're yeah. talking about is the antitoxin. Exactly. Okay. So at the time, the best they could do is the antitoxin, which would still save your life, but they didn't have the vaccine. So And you had to be quick about it. Yeah. Okay. But um, gotcha. okay. So, so is everyone like really horrified yet <laughs> about slowly <laughs> suffocating to death? Oh With yeah. Children slowly suffocating to death. Okay. You know, it's uh, I mean, so... yes, but I find this this fascinating. So <laughs> we picked a really great time in American history to talk about asphyxiating to death again. I think we did. This is this is <laughs> oh my god. This is and what... the importance of vac vaccines. I was going to say um... this is <laughs> about the importance of vaccines in yes. science. Yeah. And yeah. dogs. Because I, I, I grew up, I did not get polio. I did not get diphtheria. I, yeah. So. We we it's live tough. in that lucky time period where you don't have to get polio. Yes. For reasons. It's good stuff, man. So, all right. Going back to the story. Um, so, Nome, Alaska. It was a port town. However, from October, November-ish to July... The port was inaccessible due to ice in the water. Oh. So there was really only a few months where you could get supplies by ship. Um, there was no train that went that far north. And there um, planes um, that could withstand cold temperatures hadn't been invented yet. So if you think about like World War One planes, they have an open cockpit. And their um, engines are also cooled by water. Antifreeze hadn't been invented. Oh. So those two things together kind of made flight in the far north um, very dangerous and not reliable. Yeah, they're <laughs> very, very isolated there. <laughs> yeah. So for most of the year, they were pretty much just shut off from the world. And blood dogs were the only way to get around. Um the natives had Malamutes, and they also had the more recent import of the Siberian Husky. So, um, oh. and the mail route to Nome was traversed by Sled Dog. So that went down from um, near Anchorage all the way up to Nome. And there's also several roadhouses along the way to give travelers a place to stop and eat. Like every 30 to 50 miles, you'd have a roadhouse and, yeah. The person who ran that would offer you like a bed and food for you know a small amount. So it's it's literally like a sled dog rest area. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there a McDonald's? So... <laughs> yes. <laughs> or about a Starbucks? Uh, they're, they're they're not that lucky. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Might be a Tim Hortons. Um... <laughs> so that kind of sets up like. This is where Nome is. It's way up there. Everything's, you know, has to be traversed by dog. So that little girl who got sick on Christmas Eve in 1924, she died. Oh. Um, yeah. And a few days later, several more children became ill. 
Um, four children died, and then in mid-January, Curtis Welch, that doctor, um, he realized this is diphtheria. He didn't want to believe it was diphtheria, but he finally was just like, okay, we have an outbreak. So he sent a telegram to the U.S. Public Health Service pleading for more antitoxin, and um, the town put a quarantine in place, but it did little to stop the spread. And there's also real concern that this outbreak would spread like wildfire among the native population in the outlying area, the um, mm. Eskimos, and oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the other native group there, but that's okay. Uh, is it the Inuit? No, it's like the, that's not going to come to me, but anyway, the native people who were already there before Europeans came and were like, it's gold up here. But, um, <laughs> There's gold in there. <laughs> yeah. I actually so thought, I thought were... you said it's cold up here. <laughs> oh, I did too. No, no. No, gold. But yes, it is cold up here. It's also um, cold. So that would be about 10,000 people in all in the outlying areas. Um, the doctor was using the expired antitoxin, but it had lost potency and he only had enough to treat four to six patients. Mm. Um, so there was some debate about the best way to get the antitoxin to Nome. It could be sent by train only as far as Nanana, Alaska. Like I said, it was near Anchorage. And it wasn't possible by sea. Um, there was, they were really trying to get the air thing going, but just, you know, couldn't figure out how to do it. So it was, um, they decided that they would use a relay of sled dogs to take the antitoxin the 674 miles to Nome. Wow, that's a really long way. Yeah. And then just to make things difficult, temperatures across Alaska's interior were at a 20-year lows. Um, so, like, t Fairbanks was negative 50 when this all started. Oh, my God. I, I can't even imagine negative 50. Like, that's not even in my... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have no frame of reference. Ability to comprehend. No. Yeah, but we can't imagine negative 50, and we're in, like, North Face jackets and, like, modern, like, right. clothing and insulation. Like, imagine <laughs> doing that with, like, rabbit fur. Oh, or... So... Well, I mean, and the native people up there, the um, Europeans obviously took all of their tips and tricks for living in this environment. They were wearing the mukluks and the, you know, the furs and using their technology because it's the only way to survive. Mm -hmm. um, I know... What's the mukluk for people, for those of us playing at home? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fur boots <laughs> that keep your feet warm. Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. So. Um, okay. Sorry, I lost my place. So the obvious man for the job was a local musher, uh, 48-year-old Leonard Sapala. Um, so Leonard was a Norwegian. Um, he was a dog breeder, trainer, and musher. Hmm. Um, so, of course, like I was thinking, like, who's going to live in Nome, Alaska? A Norwegian would. That, would, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I came from a cold land to a cold land. Um, he was one of the few drivers, um, dog drivers, who depended completely on Siberian Huskies. At the time, it was kind of believed that larger dogs were better for mushing, such as Newfoundlands and St. Bernard's. They would cross them with Malamutes to try to make, like, bigger hybrids. However, Malamutes Cipolla, are huge. Yeah. Yeah. Sapala <laughs> favored the much smaller Huskies brought over from Asia. 
and um, his occupation was actually the sled dog driver for one of the local gold mining. That makes sense. Okay. Um, now, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, most drivers considered 30 miles a day a long run. Sapala would sometimes travel between 50 and 100 miles a day, working the dogs as long as 12 hours a day. Um, he also kept them in shape in the summer months by having them pull a cart on wheels that he called the Pupmobile. <laughs> that's adorable. That's pretty good. Right? Oh, that's it's actually really cool. We were camping once, and uh, there was like a husky club, and they brought they had carts like that, and they were running around the, the loop by the campsites, and the dogs were just pulling the cart. The dogs loved it. Oh yeah. yeah? Yeah, that's how they exercise. I mean, it looked super yeah. cool. I really wanted to do it. Was, it. It's just it this thing cool. on wheels, and the, the person stands on it, and the dogs just run. So that kind of dog, like Huskies and Malamutes and, and all those dogs that are, like, very much working dogs, they like working. Like, they, they have to have a job. That's why, like, so many people get Siberian Huskies, and they tear their homes apart. Because they don't yeah. have, like, enough things to do physically and, like, mentally to stimulate them. Because they have the energy of a dog that runs 50 miles a day pulling a cart <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're made to be working dogs. Oh. Speaking of dogs, I apologize if you hear me in the background. My dog is being absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> that's that's all right. It's uh, It's very faint. It's no problem. Well, I keep muting myself, and then I'll, like, tell him to stop, and I hear it in her microphone, and then I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, right. I, I can't hear it in her microphone, by the way. I haven't noticed uh, it. All right. But, um, so I'm just going to call Leonard Sapala Sapala from here on out. But other than his relative experience, um, another reason he was an obvious choice for this Aaron run was that he had won the All-Alaskan Sweepstakes on three occasions. So, like, they... Let me just explain what that is. Yeah. <laughs> like any other northern town looking to spice up life, they came up with an extreme sporting event. In this instance, it was a 408-mile sled dog race with cash prize called All Alaska Sweepstakes. Hmm. And so they had it. They, it went from 1908 to 1917, stopped when World War I broke out. But um, basically anybody could enter. The only rule that you like alive and in okay shape and everybody yearly bet on the winner oh okay was, yeah i a, feel like dave and i watched a really bad b movie kind of thing about these competitions and i forget the name of it <laughs> oh, wait. do you remember it dave there's been a bunch of them but well um, i mean it was, was kind of like the first i did a rod kind of thing you know um it was pretty old it was but it was basically about this family who competes in these competitions and like their their family is like falling on hard times and the the son is like insistent he's going to compete in these competitions so he can get money for his family to survive and then like he's getting like ancient wisdom and help from an Inuit which is only like pretty po problematic <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This sounds like a weird Lifetime movie. What? I was going to say, this is either definitely listed. like a bad B movie or you just a drunken bad trip and you're oh, totally ended up. Most of the movies in our, we have like this pack of movies from the 70s and 80s. Most of them were like made for TV movies. So it probably was. 
Yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but we have like a list of them. Um, it's like a it's one hundred movies, and I wrote every single one on a list, and we cross them off when we watch them. I wish I could remember what it was called. Oh, is that list still in the living room? Yeah, somewhere? somewhere around there. Oh, it's I don't want to go ruffling for not, it, but if I find it, it, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Just because it's a tangent. Do you know why they they call it mushing or mush? No, it's you actually no. for that a left. I left over from the fur trade, um, which, you know, obviously was heavily French. And their word for, like, walk or run was, was like, a marché. Yeah. I'm saying that completely mm. wrong. but I Like, marché. It was marché. Yeah, exactly. So that's <laughs> where mush comes from. So, yeah, they're so. yelling, like, mush, not mush. Yeah, exactly. That's but then brilliant. They just, mm. Yeah. Fun fact. But so yeah, he was um a good choice for this. Um there's a certain science to putting together a team of dogs. You have to pair them on relative strength and speed and gait. And mm. uh, the most important dog was always the lead dog. Um lead dog was the brains behind the team. He had to be confident. You said, calm. You said the most important is it the most important or the smart one? Both. Oh, like the the most important <laughs> one is because he's the well, smart one. It's because he's the smart one. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. He's the the lead dog's the most important one, because um, the lead dog's the brains behind the team. Makes sense. So, um, a good lead dog will know when to disobey a bad command for the safety of the team. Ooh. And in snowstorms and blizzards, when the way's lost, he'll guide them by just you know smell and sense. So. Uh, Leonard Sapal's lead dog at the time, a 12-year-old husky named Togo. Hmm. Um, so that's our, our star of the show today. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't realize yeah, he this. was 12. I, I searched He was for... 12. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and Sapala was like 48, so neither of them were spring chicken. Uh, <laughs> what were you saying, What were you going to say, Dave? Oh, I was just... I Sorry, I didn't even... Uh, but I, 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 when I was searching for sled dog movies to try and figure out what movie that, that there was, and I saw that this Disney movie, Togo, was in the list. I, so it must be this Togo. Yeah. That's the one I was talking about that I didn't know it was coming out when I first wanted to do the topic. I was like, oh, they made a movie? <laughs> <laughs> it's on Disney Plus if you want to watch it. It is. There's a so, couple movies, but the wrong dog gets credit in most of them. Oh. Yeah, I remember Laura telling me about that, but I'm <laughs> no, going to let her spoilers. take it away. So Togo had a rough start to life. He was ill as a puppy and nursed back to health by Sapala's wife, Constance. Um, mm -hmm. He was a difficult, mischievous puppy, a regular puppy delinquent. Um, A.K.A. a husky. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Sapala thought him completely unfit for his sledding team. Mm. So he actually gave away Togo at six months of age. Pet. However, after only a few weeks as a house pet, Togo actually jumped through the glass of a closed window and ran several miles back to Sapala's kennel. <laughs> so after that, he didn't try to give him away again. Because, you know, well, I mean, that's a dog that wants to be there, but he still didn't think he'd fit for a sledding team. Yeah, right. Um, so he was always trying to keep him, like, in the kennel. Togo would always get loose from the kennels, run after the team, nipping at the lead dog and generally harassing him. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> You're right. He's plucky. 
Um, at eight months old, he again broke free from the kennel, followed the sled team on an overnight run. He slept near the cabin where they were spending the night. And then the next day, Togo joined up with the team and continued to try to make things difficult by playing with the dogs or trying to lead charges against reindeer and stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> finally, to maintain orders, Apollo was like, fine, I'm putting a harness on. So, and much to his shock, Togo immediately settled down. And then he understood that all the dog wanted was to be part of the team. So Aww. I love it. It's so sweet. Right? It is. It's adorable. So he and then that day he kept moving Togo up the line until at the end of the day he was sharing lead dog position. Um Aww. his first day in a harness, he logged 75 miles. Not heard of for an, ex an inexperienced puppy. And then that's when Leonard Sapolo finally re recognized that Togo was a natural. This this puppy delinquent he tried to get rid of. He was, he was a natural <laughs> what? Born leader. Oh. <laughs> Made for the lead dog position. <clears throat> well, that's why he was such an asshole. He was special. Yeah, it actually right? kind of makes exactly. sense. Because he, like, you know, smarter, I guess, smarter animals and to some extent even smarter people <laughs> can just get bored, you know, and, like, yeah. uh, act out. Like, you kind of see that thing. Like, you can kind of maybe see he was cut out for it from the beginning. Exactly. Just give this dog a job. That's all he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. So the original idea for the serum run was that Sapala and his team would depart from Nome and meet someone halfway who would hand off the serum. Um, so Sapala set out southward with his team with Togo at the lead. Um, and then on the January 27th, the uh, relay left from the southward end. Um, I'll just go through a couple of them. Not all the relayers, but um, so the first one who left from the, t the train station near Anchorage and um, I don't remember the name of that city, Manana or something, was called Wild Bill Shannon. <laughs> mm -hmm. right, but, just for clarification, Togo is leaving Nome, Alaska and going to meet somebody that's supposed to meet him halfway from wherever the, this anti- Exactly. Okay. So they, like... so they head out from the north from Nome. And then other people are heading out. Yeah, so he's meeting. He, he's going to supposedly go meet them halfway and, and bring it back to Nome, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. I actually, I'm glad you clarified that because for some reason I had put that together. Yeah. So, um, well, Bill's coming from the south, so he he has the serum from the train. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about him is because the the temperature that day was negative sixty two. Oh my god. Um, oh. So, um, like, the the book was interesting. It talked a lot about, like, ideal sled dog conditions. Apparently, there's the rule you want to run dogs above 40 degrees because they'll get overheated. And under 40, it can be dangerous because they can get, like, pulmo pulmonary embolism. Oh, my God. It's, it's not always safe. Um, but anyway, so it was negative 62. He got severely frostbit on his face. So, and he was actually jogging along with the team to try to stay warm. Um, he handed the serum to the next musher. The last name was Kellen. I, for some reason, didn't write down his first name. And while the temperature had risen to a nice negative 56, they had to pour boiling water over his, his hands to get them off the sled handlebar when he arrived to the next road. Who, I'm sorry, who was this? Uh, Kellen was the second one. 
but he I was mean, frozen to the sled. Kellen was <laughs> fl- frozen to the sled. Oof. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to mention those two. That's that's just brutal. Like, I know steam will come off of any exposed skin at like negative fifty or negative sixty-two, but it's just I can't. Fathom. Also, I I think it's uh, very important that we're acknowledging the dogs that made this possible, but also we don't think about the humans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never thought about it. <laughs> yeah, nah, who yeah. cares about that guy? I mean, that's like well, those dogs have a double coat. <laughs> Yeah, that human does not. Um, I, you know, didn't really say how well Bill got frostbite on his face, but he did. I mean, that never really goes away. So he just had like part of his face was black. Uh, I mean, it's like negative <laughs> sixty out. Like, yeah, yeah, and you're moving at a fairly high speed with like the wind yeah. whipping at you, which makes I, it colder. More yeah. impressed that he didn't get more frostbite. Right. Well, probably everything but his face was covered because he had yeah. to be able to see. Probably. So um, it was decided after Sapa was already on his way on January 30th to add more um, teams to the relay to speed it up because the number of cases in Nome had reached 27 in all. Ooh. So that it was getting kind of like it was starting to snowball. So um, they had 20 mushers in all and participate in the relay. Um However, Sapala and Togo had took the longest and most dangerous portion, going 260 miles from Nome in three days. Mm. Um, much of the trail he had to traverse followed the coast of Norton Sound. Um, however, there was also a 42-mile shortcut across the Sound Water that oh. would shave an entire day off the run. Like over a frozen lake area? Yeah, like over frozen water. Oh boy. <clears throat> so, I mean, no one really needed the syrup. And Paula himself actually had an eight year old daughter. So, I mean, that might have also affected his decision. Right. I mean, so, you, you, have to, you can't underestimate this man's drive. Like, his town is getting decimated by yeah, this disease exactly. right, right now. Like, his friends and family are all super big risk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're like doing this like he... for people's children. Exactly. Yeah. Right. He might have done it anyway, but he he really recognized the importance of it. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of interesting. They talked a lot about the ice on the the sound. So, um, they said it was in a constant state of change and recreation. Swaths would suddenly break free and drift to sea, um, depending on temperature, wind, and currents. The ice would do all sorts of things. Um, like it would form these five foot high ice hummocks, which is just a fancy name for an ice hill wow. or a line of pressure ridges that look like mountains. Um, it just oh. completely depended on the wind. And um, sometimes also they would have like parts of ice would break free and like fling themselves onto land. It's very strange. It sounds completely chaotic. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that just like uh, plain old water could get all wacky like that up in Alaska. <laughs> Right? Like, I had no idea. I always expected, like, oh, like a pond. Like, no, actually, it, like, continues to change because of, you know, it is. Well, you gotta think about the, like, the air, air temperature is, like, so drastically cold, but there's also, like, currents bringing in different temperatures in the yeah. water. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole system trying to fight itself. Wow. And then it 
It said that when the winds came from the east, the gusts would be more than 70 miles per hour and slips, flip sleds over or take the wind chill down to like minus 100. So there's oh all sorts of like God. dangerous factors going on here. Every time I think I know the coldest thing you're going to tell me, you tell me a colder <laughs> thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so he actually crossed that shortcut twice on the serum run, once on the way down, and then after meeting a driver and picking up the serum... Um, which he actually did. It wasn't the halfway point. It was just a, like, um, I don't know, it part way down, but mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and then he also crossed it on the way back. So his first crossing was without incident. The second crossing was not. Oh no. <laughs> so he was a few miles offshore when between like roaring gusts of winds, he heard this crack. Togo reared up and somersaulted back onto the team. Um, the dog had stopped because a channel of water had opened in front of them. They were actually on an ice floe drifting out to sea. Oh, oh shit. Wow. So he looked, Sapala looked all around the edges of the floe, but there wasn't a way out. So he had no choice but to curl up with the dogs to conserve energy and hope for a shift in the wind. Um, oh, so several, yeah, that's, that's just terrifying. Anyway, <laughs> several hours later, the wind did begin blowing back towards shore. Um, and at one point, there was a, a place that they could get off the flow, but the jump was five feet, and he knew he couldn't do that jump with the sled and the dog. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he tied a long tow-line togo and threw him across the open channel of water. Oh. According to Zapala, togo seemed to understand what he needed to do. Once on the other side, togo dug in his nails into the ice and pulled towards the shore. However, <laughs> then the line snapped. Oh, my God. And, yeah, Sapala said at that point he thought it was a death sentence. Togo looked back across at Sapala and the team, and then he dove into the water, grabbed the line in his mouth, struggled back onto shore. He rolled over the line until it was looped about his shoulders twice and began to pull. And he actually pulled the flow close enough for Sapala and the to make the jump. That, that is amazing. That's unbelievable. That he had I the know. intelligence to know to do that, and like the problem solving to know to do that. Yeah, the problem solving of these dogs just flabbergasts me. There was another story, if you don't mind me going on a tangent, that has nothing Not to do with this. Oh yeah, tell us. In this in this book, and it wasn't Sapal, it was some other dog team. But um, so a lot of times they would run the dogs along frozen rivers because it was smoother than the, the road or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was also dangerous because sometimes water would um, move or come out and then it would just be like ice caverns under them. So mm-hmm. this uh, dog team, the, the guy fell into one of these ice caverns and um, he didn't have a way out. And his lead dog was looking down at him above and so he just pointed it in the direction of the next roadhouse and told him to go get help and the dog actually kind of figured out what to do and went to the roadhouse and, and brought back somebody to save oh my god so these huskies are super smart sometimes yeah like you know dogs are smart <laughs> but like holy hell that is really impressive yeah or it's like oh you probably want me to do this okay god the, just the, the, the for them to figure that out is really incredible. 
Yeah. That is amazing. Um, so, following day, he kept closer to shore. Uh, blizzard conditions obscured their vision. Um, when they were finally on land, a few hours later, the entire section of ice which, over which they had traveled broke up and blew out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well. And then the next portion was a climb over the summit of what they call Little McKinley, which I guess is approximately like 500 feet elevation. And um, that was also dangerous with narrow ridges with steep falls. At one point, Sapala almost um, died, fell over a ridge on the All-Alaskan, all All-Alaska all sweepstakes on this area. But this I feel like there's definitely a theme of almost dying yeah, this is not this is not a safe way to live your life. <laughs> no, like to be a dog musher is to just face death all the time. This is what I've learned. <laughs> oh my um, god, what a crazy profession. Why would you do I this? Know. I don't know. But they did. Same reason people live up there. I don't know. <laughs> so um so Sapala did pass it up pass off the serum to the next person in line, that's Charlie Olson. The last two mushers were Charlie Olson and Gunnar Kassen, um, which they they had to go through a blizzard as well for the um, Gunnar was a late addition to the run. Uh, he was added, you know, when they added extra people and was actually a colleague of Sapala for the gold company. Um, they worked for the same company. Um, Sapala told him that if he needed dogs for company business to take a dog named Fox as the leader. However, Gunner was fond of a husky called Balto, so he made Balto his lead dog. Hmm. And yeah, I don't know if you know if that rings any bells, but mm -hmm. through the blizzard, Gunner um, and Balto traveled 50 miles to Nome and arrived with the serum on February 1st. So, total distance for the run was 674 miles. It took 127 hours and 30 minutes, which is approximately five and a half days. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, so they delivered the 300,000 units, which was they were hoping was enough to save the town until the next shipment of 1.1 million units would arrive. And it, it was them from disaster. But uh, radios and newspaper all over the country grabbed the story of the syrup run and, you know, the race to save Gnome. And Gunnar Kassen, I'm probably saying that wrong, Balto became heroes. So they went on a media tour, a movie was made about them, and in New York City, a statue of Balta was unveiled in the park in Thursday. Oh my god. This is like really like rolling out the rolling out the uh the, the, the hero parade, right? I mean Yeah. There's a lot of attention on that. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Most people don't get their own statue for anything. Well, I mean there's a lot of lives that were saved by it. And well, and also, radio was fairly new, and I mean, it was just a, a story that just grabbed everyone's attention. Yeah, like, kind of like Baby Jessica in the Well in what was that, the eighties? I don't even know. But every yeah. once in a while, there's those stories that everyone grabs hold of, and they're just like, "Yeah, race to save," and you know. So it was kind of an early one of those, and they just became celebrities. Um, so Paul pa was originally devastated that they made a statue of what he called the wrong dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Since um, he and his and Togo traveled more than two and a half times the 
covered by any of the other drivers. Right. Uh, that guy was just like the last guy, but he did most uh-huh. of it. Yeah, he did most of it. However, later, Sapala did do his own press tour Pogo. So um, he did, also did a lot to popularize the Husky with as a breed with America. And um, Togo lived to the ripe old age of 16. That's wow. insane for a dog that big, yeah, big in dogs. a profession that dangerous. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Wasn't Chapala like kind of ridiculed almost for using huskies as opposed to Malamutes? Yeah, he was. I didn't really mention that too much. But like I said, they at first they weren't really sure about him because huskies are so small compared to Malamutes. And they just were like, yeah. Yeah, right, you with your Huskies. But then, like, well, after he won the All-Alaska Sweepstakes a couple times, then the the locals kind of understood. And then also, you know, once Togo and um, Balto became famous, then the rest of America was like, oh, Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> so. I get, like, being a bigger dog maybe be a little hardier, but also, like, if you're smaller, you're maybe more agile and, like, it, both can have their benefits. Wasn't yeah. To, for clarification's sake, wasn't Balto also Sapala's dog? Yeah, he was. Yeah, so that's so what I was saying. Both like Sapala's dogs. It's just the he, other guy took him out. Hmm. He he bred dogs for the for for the company, you know, for running hmm. sleds and for the company. So since um, Kassen worked also for the company. Then when he took a sled team, he used the same dogs. He used uh, Sapala's dogs from his kennel. So they were actually both of uh, his dogs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, if you ever want to see Togo, he's now in a case at the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race Museum, well, which is a really long name Wait, for a museum. Like they like uh, taxidermied, taxidermied him? him. They did. They taxidermied him. I oh. I don't. I kind of don't like this. <laughs> but it was like the nineteen twenties, and well, I guess it and was he was a in very 20s, important but... papo. Yeah. Hey, if they Is did it, it with Lenin, they'll do it with a dog. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look bad, but it I mean, just. Um, I mean, if you've ever visited our natural history museum here, it's all full of questionable and disturbing taxidermy but you know that yeah. was the way of the time so you know like right. most taxidermy has this way of like even if they do it well like give it 10 years and like it yeah. just starts yeah. to like shift in a way that becomes unsettling <laughs> okay so i'm i'm looking at this taxidermy of togo okay great let's talk about I found it a picture. what's it look like it- it looks okay, but here's the thing. Because he was 16 when he died, he looks like a 16-year-old dog. <laughs> he does, yeah. He he's, looks old. He's, like, he's probably much thinner than than he was at one point. He's mm-hmm. probably not as muscular as he was at one point, but like he looks like a 16-year-old dog. Though looking at the pictures of his face, I totally see how Bobo looks like a husky. Like yeah. his, his snoot and his lips... It like looks just like Bo's face. 
Okay. Dave, I'm gonna send. I'm gonna put this picture in the chat. So yeah, but if, yeah, I kind of want to see this wretched old taxidermy. This wretched old taxidermy. <laughs> I gotta say, it doesn't look bad. He just looks like a dog standing <laughs> very looks, still. But he he's looks really old. old. <laughs> yeah. He's a very old. He doesn't look as old as he is, honestly. But he's very yeah. old. Yeah. It's. I don't yeah. know. I just think it usually doesn't look very good. But. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A lot of times, it's not. It it. You could tell it's not right. <laughs> but I mean, there really isn't much more to the story. I learned a lot about dog sledding and mushing. Um, yeah. Apparently, you have to pay close attention to the dog's paws. They say that the dogs are only good it's as their feet. One. So you have to like make sure they don't have any broken nails or cuts or anything on paws. And also, that picture. <laughs> that is the wrong picture. <laughs> what did you guys post? Oh my god, I feel like yeah, Christy accidentally shared a picture of I... herself, uh, like, <laughs> pretending to draw. Um, I did a, a self portrait, and that's the picture I used for reference. But I downloaded <laughs> this picture and meant to upload it, and it, it uploaded the wrong one. <laughs> wow, there's the right one. That, uh, Good. That's a great looking taxidermy. It almost looks like a living person. Logo <laughs> uh, so, does look like an old man, though. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he just looks like an old, a real old dog. He looks okay. So, a quote from Sapalo was that um, I never had a better dog than Togo. Stamina, loyalty, and intelligence not be improved upon. Togo is the best dog that I ever traveled the Alaska Trail. The, yeah. So. Aww. And, you know, I got to disagree with Sapala. Balto deserved some credit, too. They were all the bestest boys. Who, right. You know, deserve. Yeah. Yeah, Balto <laughs> deserved some credit, but, how, like, of the total, like, how many of the to the total miles did Togo run? Like, um, over, like, 500 miles or whatever. Didn't Togo do, like, almost 300 miles of them? Mm. Oh, gosh. I said it earlier. I have to find it. But yeah, it was it was like most of the the journey when it came. It looks down like to Balto it. is also so. taxidermied. Yes, he is. I don't know where he is staying. Why? Why are they not together? They... I don't know. <laughs> but I gotta say, in this picture that that I see, he's like behind a glass case, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. whoever yeah. Was like was in front of the case when they took the picture there must have been like a small male child because i could see the reflection of this small boy on balto's butt and it's really funny <laughs> <laughs> i was like wow his fur pattern looks like a child's face and i was like oh wait <laughs> oh my gosh that's funny so that's the crazy story of the serum run then guys what do you I'm, think i'm Are amazed you... i'm completely that amazed is... Uh, incredibly interesting and fascinating to me. You know, I love a good Puppo story. I didn't. Yeah, I, there's Balto. He's bigger. I didn't know about this. I don't know how I didn't know about this, but I didn't know about this. I feel like I <laughs> I had heard of Balto. I hadn't heard of Togo, unfortunately. There was like a bad children's animation movie about yeah. Balto when we were yeah, kids. Yeah, it was a cartoon. Um, yeah. So that's why I thought maybe you guys had heard of Balto. If not, but. So yeah. I looked at Balto because I wanted to see what he looked like, and it it does the like people also searched for, <laughs> and so it gave me uh, Balto, and then it gave me some other dog names that that people commonly search for, and some of them are so fucking funny. Um, <laughs> okay. There's there's like Hachiko, 
like uh, one called Greyfriars Bobby. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, a that... dog called a god a dog called Pickles, and then there's <laughs> and then my personal favorite, Barry. <laughs> Barry. Mush Barry. Mush. I, mean, I don't know if they... these are all. I don't. They don't all look like, like mushroom dogs, but they're like yeah. dogs that people searched for. Like, uh, Barry was, was a dog. One of them was Laika, like L A I K A. Mm-hmm. L A I K A. Yeah. That's the name of the dog at the Soviet Union set in the space. Yeah, it yeah, is. That's right. Famous. These are all he just like famous dog that... dogs that people look oh, up. Oh, they aren't. I they they aren't all mushroom dogs. Yeah. No. Mushroom dogs. Dog. <laughs> yeah. So so Barry is was a breed of dog which later became the Saint Bernard and he worked as a mountain rescue dog in Switzerland and Italy for the Great Saint Bernard Hospice. He predates the modern Saint Bernard and was lighter built than the modern ones, but apparently he's a very famous pre Saint Bernard. But the name Barry just made me laugh really hard. <laughs> yeah. I have to see who I think what Greyfriars Bobby did, because that's a great name for a dog. He was a Sky Terrier who became known in the 19th century Edinburgh for spending 14 years guarding the grave of his owner until he died himself in 1872. Ugh. The story continues to be well known in Scotland through several books and films. Well, that's sad. Oh, that was a little bit of a bummer. Let's talk about Togo again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. So Paul actually ended up living to like 89. I guess they were just really they just both became old men together, I guess. That's, I don't know. That's that's old by our standards and like a long ass time ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. A, a dude in the twenties who like lived in Alaska and had an extremely dangerous profession. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's, like, defying all the odds. Um, so, obviously, I'm... they stopped using dog mushing when airplanes finally were able to withstand the cold, but... Yeah. yeah. I'm sending you guys a link to another heroic dog that we don't necessarily have to talk about on here, but his name is Sergeant Stubby. I've heard about him before, <laughs> but he's a, he's a very good dog, Sergeant Stubby. Oh, my God. He looks like... Oh my god, he looks like oh, wow. if like the cutest dog ever like went to Vietnam and did everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I could talk about it since they kind of are, but uh These are he, the bestest boys. Mm -hmm. He was a military dog and he did like a bunch of things. He's the only dog to ever be promoted to sergeant in the US Army. <laughs> he was a stray who got the name of Stubby because he had a short stubby tail. Uh, he was the most courageous dog of World War One, experiencing 17 major battles on the Western Front over the course of 18 months in the trenches. Wow. Uh, following training in the United States, where, where he was a mascot for the soldiers at Yale Field, he was snuck on board the deployment ship. And when he was discovered, the commanding officer was won over when he saluted with one paw on command to present arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've heard of it. It's the one where... They basically snuck him into their military encampment. The, the uh, you're kind of cutting out, but yeah, they they snuck him in. Yeah, and so he he went over their commanding officer because they taught him to salute when given the order present arms. <laughs> so he he proved a reliable little soldier, seeking out the wounded in no man's land, warning of incoming missiles that he could hear first, and detecting mustard gas before it became too late. 
a sense he picked up from a mustard gas attack that left him hospitalized. He got his sergeant status when he caught a German spy hiding in foliage near their encampment. Oh, man. When he returned to the States, he was laden with medals, met the president, and joined his longtime master, Robert Conroy, at Georgetown University Law School, where he became the school's mascot. Uh, during halftime at football games, he'd knock around a football in the field to the cheers of the crowd. <laughs> and when he passed away in 1926, he was preserved as a tribute to his bravery, and he's on display in the Price of Freedom Americans at War exi- Exhibition at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> Sergeant Stubby. Awesome. He's a very heroic dog. Hey, I love heroic dog stories. Hey, TJ, uh, get, get a little closer to your microphone if you can. Oh, I'm sorry. Um... Yeah, you're hard to hear for some reason. but no, So that's, I mean, that's all I got. <laughs> Wait, you've lost track of your microphone? <laughs> well, it's somewhere on my headphones, but decided. <laughs> That's well, I guess it's kind of okay because we're kind of wrapping well, up here. Yeah, anyway, we're wrapping but... it up. Yeah. Sorry to go on a tangent of other. <laughs> other no, uh, I like this. You do not apologize for giving us Sergeant <laughs> Stubby. Sergeant yeah, Stubby. Yeah, I Sergeant heard about Stubby. Sergeant Stubby on the um, "Can I Pet Your Dog" podcast because they had a Dog Heroes segment they would do sometimes, but. He's one of my favorites, but Togo is got to be another favorite now because that's like a badass yeah. dog. I still can't believe that he lived to sixteen. Yeah, right. he did. So, and then he was fourteen when he did that incredibly dangerous run. Twelve, twelve, twelve. Still. Okay, still. yeah, but still, that's old for a big dog. Yeah, that is old yeah. for a big dog. Yeah. yeah. So he and he and Sapal apparently just for. <laughs> <laughs> old men together it's crazy yeah what whatever they were doing worked <laughs> crazy norwegian and his sled and- um so i guess uh i guess we're wrapping up but laura thank you for that incredible story yeah. that i had no idea about yeah this is super fun um it's uh yeah, welcome. i now know medical information that will haunt me for a little while so that's good <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> just picture the scales Covering up my lungs and throat. <laughs> also, again, shout out to the podcast. This podcast will kill you. Laura, you've told yeah. me about it before, but it's mm-hmm. a podcast all about like diseases and viruses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I got my to it right now. I love information that, on holy shit, if you're worried, <laughs> you're going to freak the fuck out. It's, it sounds like, it's horrible. terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> A... The thing is, I think everyone in the world should listen to an episode of that show on viruses. <laughs> right well, now. Just start with the first one on influenza. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Enjoy the nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So uh, let's close this one up. I appreciate the research. I appreciate the story. That was very great. And I just also just appreciate talking to you guys and hanging out with you. It's yeah. Really nice to have you on. Um, it's always we fun. miss you. We miss you. Um, yeah. Too. Right. Thanks. I miss just talking to you guys. Like I wish. We'd yeah. Like a Zoom chat fun. or something. Uh, you know, gosh, maybe maybe we should get together some like online games and stuff with you guys. It's it just feels like yeah. it'd be nice to like have something 
just to do just as a framework to shoot the shit because that's kind of what you have to do. It's like you know, like come yeah. up with a thing that is really just sort of like the the skeleton for a reason to hang out and and do this, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So let's wrap this one up. This has been another episode of Goose Chase. Goose Chase. <laughs> Thank Goose Chase. You. Uh, <laughs> like, like you said it like a question. Goose Chase. Goose Chase. <laughs> Uh, we will see you next time with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, bye. 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 You've been listening to Goose Chase. We are Goose Chase Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is at Goose Chase Pod, and our website is www.goosechasepodcast.com. If you have any topics you'd like us to research, please email us at goosechasepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do on the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Want to go on a goose chase? Ooh, yes. 